just thought it would be helpful at this point in Ephesians if we stopped and slowed down a little bit. Sometimes when we read through scripture, it can it can seem like a checklist of do this, do this, do this. And um, unless we stop and pause, it can become maybe performance-based. And um, so we thought it would be helpful to slow down and look through the text a little more carefully in terms of how do we change? How does the scripture change us? How does God change us? So Chantelle and I are um, both studying biblical counseling right now, um, and we're not experts by any means. We come in humility knowing that this is, we're a body of Christ, and we want to walk side by side through the struggles of life, through trials and pain and sin. And uh, we're really thankful for Alyssa, who contributed a lot to this. Um, so yeah, if we can open up in prayer. Yeah. <clears throat> Hey, Father, this room is made up of sufferers and sinners. There are a variety of women here, Lord, who have different stories and have gone through pain and suffering. And Lord, we don't want to simplify their pain. But we know, God, that you see us, you hear us, and you are with us in our pain. You are our comfort. Father, we believe the gospel is powerful to help us respond in our suffering in a God-honoring way. So we ask you to be with us this morning as we share how the Bible helps change us. We trust you to do a good work through this, and we seek to honor you and bring you glory. Amen. Sure. sure. Do you want, maybe you'll pass it back and forth. Yeah. Sure. So we're going to talk about first, oh, oh, we're still organizing how we're doing this. I'm going to ask a question and Chantel's going to answer. <laughs> so the first, we just want to know why we're here. So Chantel? So we're, we're here because like we've observed um, through the book of Ephesians that many of the themes that we've been studying are applicable to biblical counsel. Um, in the summertime, Eva, Alyssa, and I met, and we thought, we'll do a panel on something. And so we kind of brainstormed what that could be. And the themes that came out of that pretty much all fit into um, the counsel of God, of biblical counsel. Um, through the book, you know, we start in one, and we, we find out who God is and how he's related to us. We hear the gospel and how he has adopted us as his children. So we're learning in that about identity and who we are in Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, we, we learn about our old nature and our sinful nature. And so that's, that's really applicable to biblical counsel. Like we, we look at what motivates the heart. <clears throat> and then from there, we see God reconciling him, us to himself through his grace, and then reconciling each other and making us one body, uniting us in Christ. And then Paul gives us commands on how to live and what that looks like. And that looks like putting off the old and putting on the new, which is really the method of biblical change, putting off the old self. <clears throat> and then we see themes of hope through gospel change throughout the book of Ephesians, which is you know something that is a focus of biblical counsel. We, we would be looking to what our hope is, what our treasure is. <clears throat> And then we see calls in the book of Ephesians to be counseling one another in the body, to be speaking the truth and love to each other. So that's, that's why we chose to, to speak this 
on this topic to do this panel. What is, sorry, <laughs> what is the biblical method for change that we see in Ephesians 4? <clears throat> so if you actually have your Bibles, you can go to Ephesians 4, 22, around 20, 22. I'll just read a couple verses there to orient ourselves. Um, so Ephesians 4, 20, I'll start it. And I have ESV, I'm not sure if that's what we have here. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as, is, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this small section of Ephesians really describes um, what it means to change in light of the Bible, in light of God working in our hearts. Um, so we're told to put off the old self, renew our minds, and put, off, put on the new self. So kind of three, I'm going to break it up a little bit into three stages, but I mean, it's very fluid and I don't want to make it seem like it has to be in that exact um, order, but just for sake of making it easier to explain. Um, so this is done through stopping and starting. We're told to stop old patterns of behavior, thoughts, and habits and start new patterns, behaviors, and habits. Um, and so when we were deciding what to do for the panel, we thought it would be helpful to share personal examples of things to really bring it a bit more applicable, make it more applicable to everyday life. So I'll use an example from my life um, of how God has helped me to put off the old renew my mind and put on the new. This is an ongoing process. I've not arrived. I never will, but I've seen God working in my heart and changing my heart. So I just wanted to share an example with you. So after having uh, children, things in my marriage changed, of course, and a lot of stress was added to my life. I experienced um, just a lot of burnout, stress, um, exhaustion, uh, and Mark had to travel a lot for work. Mark's my husband. Um, and he, whenever he would go away for work, I would get really bitter and resentful and angry at him. Um, I'm not the lashing out kind of angry, but the silent, icy anger, which is maybe even worse. Um, and so I would give him the cold shoulder. I would really make him feel bad for leaving me um, alone with children. It was, I just, I, I was so... Um, it was me, this is, I'm the center of my universe and you need to be here to make my life easier. And if you don't, then I'm going to um, let you know that in my own way. And so I felt completely justified in what I was doing. Um, after all, I needed help and he was leaving me. I had insomnia and um, it was just, a, it was a really stressful time. And it was stressful for him too in different ways. He wasn't really getting a break, but I, I thought of it that way. He's getting a break. He gets to go out for dinners and do this and that. Um, and so that was my response. So it was a difficult situation, yes. And my response was one of bitterness, silent anger, and resentment. Um, so just to say the situation is significant. I don't want to say that, oh, just ignore the postpartum. You know, that's not at all what I'm saying. I think we need to be aware that we have physical bodies and 
we're physically embodied souls. And so we do need to consider those factors. But I don't think that they determine our response. I think they're significant, but not determinant of the way we respond. Um, so that was the old self that I'm describing. The old self. Bitterness, resentment, anger. So... God convicted me of this sin, and he convicts us in different ways. Maybe it's through a friend identifying something in your own heart that they've noticed. Maybe it's God's word through prayer. So when I was convicted of my sin, it required me to feel the weight of my sin. Mm-hmm. So putting off the old self, we have to feel the weight of it. We've sinned against a holy God. We have um, broke his law, and I had to stop justifying that I deserve to feel that way. So I needed godly sorrow. Um, So I think that's a big part of putting off the old. If we don't feel that it needs to be put off, we don't feel godly sorrow, uh, we kind of lack that reason for change. So recognizing the sinfulness of our old self and mourning that and grieving that. Um, And also I had to recognize that my problem with Mark, so horizontal problem we call it, with someone, with another person, horizontal relationship, My problem with him ultimately had to do with my vertical relationship with Mm -hmm. God. It had to do with, do I trust God to provide for me? Or am I trusting in Mark to to make me feel better about the situation? Am I trusting that God is enough, that he'll satisfy me, he'll give me the strength each morning that I need? Or am I looking to Mark? Because he, Mark did not, he couldn't, he couldn't satisfy those needs. Um, And then that caused me to be bitter. So I had to see that ultimately it's, it has to do with more than more to do with God than with Mark, um, and that also included humbling myself and confessing to Mark before I could restore that relationship. So I had to confess to God and to Mark, and um, so that's kind of all of putting off the old self. So now I'll talk about how do we renew our minds. So three ways that in my life were helpful, and I think. There's probably more, but for me, it was the word, prayer, and community. So um, I heard a quote that was really helpful for me, and it says, and I'll go through those more slowly too. Those are just, I'm trying to give a framework. So the word, so for the word, a quote that I heard that was really helpful is, God doesn't hold up a mirror without holding out a lamp. So the word is a mirror. It shows us who we really are. It shows us our sin. It shows us our desires that often are sinful and not towards God. So the word is a mirror, and God doesn't hold out a mirror without holding out a lamp. He also gives us a lamp, which is also his word. Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word will guide us. And yes, we have sin and we are convicted of that, but we need to go to his word to guide us and to find our way out. Mm-hmm. So being in his word and praying for him to change my heart was a big piece of the renewing of my mind. Um, meditating on the gospel, on repeat, over and over. Um, Ephesians is all about that. I think of Ephesians 2-4 um, in particular. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And it goes on. But just that beautiful picture of God's rich mercy and love for a sinner like me. I needed to be in that 
um, be in the word and really be reminding myself of that over and over. And that's part of that process of renewing our minds. Um, and also praying for my heart to be changed and believing that he will do it. Because the Holy Spirit ultimately enables me to do what I could never do on my own. And lastly, so that's the word, prayer, and community. So being in community. Now at the time, I actually didn't seek out help. When you're living in, when, when, you, when you're sinning and having bitterness and resentment, it's hard to seek out help for that until you recognize that it's a problem. And I, so I didn't originally do that. But now that I'm aware of this pattern and aware of my tendency to go towards bitterness, I can, I've been able to share with friends and ask for prayer in that area. So I think being in community and not, nope, did that go off? I think it might, do we have more batteries? Um, okay, it's, maybe it's gonna die again, I don't know. Yeah, so the community aspect, we are not alone in this. God has given us the body for that very reason. It's, should I keep going or wait? It's pretty quiet. Yeah, maybe, okay, I'll maybe give it a... You, you're, you're, you have a lovely, soft-spoken voice. <laughs> it's a silent rage. Want, I don't yell. We want the women in the back to hear you. <laughs> so you're done. Do you're done. done. <laughs> cut off. Here we go. How many? Two? Just two. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Eva. Okay, let's see if that's... Yeah, it's green. All right. Good to go. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Okay, so uh, community. We're not meant to do this alone. God gives us the body to help us through our sin, to help us through our struggles. So I just encourage all of you to confess your sins to one another and ask for that prayer, not to hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that's the renewing our minds, which leads to putting on the new. That's how we have the new self put on. So in Ephesians, back to Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, it reads, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, so in this verse, it's telling me not only do I have to stop the bitterness, I have to replace it with words of encouragement and love. Or it says in here, tender-hearted words, forgiveness. Um, So I heard another quote that was really helpful from Tim Challies and just explaining the putting off and the putting on. Um, He says, if your life is like glass, that glass, or sorry, if your life is like a glass, that glass is always full. When you take something out, something else rushes in. When you stop sinning, it's like you've left a void in your life. And if you don't now fill it with something good, another sin will rush to take its place. When focusing on putting sin to death, never neglect the discipline of bringing some new and opposite virtue to life. So when I realized I had the bitterness in my heart, I had to remove that. But now I'm encouraged in Ephesians to put on the opposite virtue, which is love affirmation how can I use my words as of just staying silent how can I actually use my words to build up Mark to encourage him to thank him for working hard for our family so the opposite virtue is needed to replace 
the old one that we've recognized as sinful and uh, repented of. So God has changed my heart through this process, yet bitter and resentful thoughts still creep in. As I said, I'm not, we're never finished. There's always more to work on and sin does tend to come back. Um, but by God's grace, I'm quicker to recognize this and, and deal with it before it takes root. So um, Ephesians tells us also, there's a warning in Ephesians, it says if we don't put off the old self, that we can become callous. Um, so we can either put off the old self and put on the new, or we become callous, living for self in our old nature outside of grace. So that's the importance of being in community, sharing our sins with one another, asking for prayer, and believing that by his spirit, he will do it. And that's, I don't know if you want to add anything. Maybe I, I think it was really helpful. I, okay. No, I don't have anything. Just jump in if there's ever. Dad, no, I, I, I will. But, no, I think that was a really okay. helpful illustration of putting off the old and putting on the new. So now uh, we talked about <laughs> biblical counseling, and that might be a new phrase for some of you. Uh, so Chantel is just going to describe a little bit about what biblical counseling is. <clears throat> So biblical counseling is the personal ministry of the word. Like on Sunday mornings, we experience the public ministry of the word. The pastor brings the word to us. But in biblical counseling, it, it's um, personal because it's, it's more done in a one-to-one environment. It's an intentional discipleship relationship, a face-to-face interaction where one follower of Christ, enabled by the Holy Spirit, counsels the other with scripture. So it's rooted in God, exalts Christ, and is enabled by the Holy Spirit to offer love. <clears throat> and biblical counsel has a distinct worldview. It is um, seen through the lens of scripture. We view um, biblical, biblical counsel views humanity and suffering through the lens of, of scripture. So we're looking to the word to describe our humanity, to describe our suffering, to describe our nature. Um, it examines the situation, the suffering at the heart, and the sin and the responses, and then applies the whole of scripture to the situation, not just one Bible verse. It's not um, a prescription or a band-aid, but speaking the truth and love from the whole counsel of God, looking at the entire arc of the redemption story. And it's given with an approach of humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love, like we see in Ephesians for two. It's a fulfillment of that command. So it's done with a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Like Heather said, this isn't something her or I or Alyssa can do on our own. We need the counsel of God. We need to be renewing our own minds in scripture. We need to be pleading with God to join us in, in, in those discussions, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to give us wisdom, to speak into those situations. And so any growth or heart change are dependent on God and on his timing. Some people will think, you know, I'll go to a counselor and maybe after like two or three times, this is going to be fixed. But that might not be the case. We are dependent on God's grace and his timing. Um, And so counsel is given with much prayer, trusting in God to be at work by the Holy Spirit. So it's an act of obedience out of love for God and for the fellow image bearer. It connects people, um, it just connects people's lives to each other, um, to what God is doing in Christ and enables change. So it's that community, again, like she was mentioning previously. 
Heather, what's the difference between biblical counsel and secular counseling or Christian counseling? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's many ways to answer this. Um, and I'll just cover it very briefly with my own experience and my perspective of it. Uh, so I'm not here saying that all secular counseling is wrong or we only need to do biblical counseling. That's not the intention of this. Um, I think that seeing a specialized therapist for different things can be really helpful. And um, this isn't to undermine any of, of that. Uh, but in, in understanding the difference, I think it's helpful to know that we're coming from a different lens. So as Chantel mentioned, the lens of scripture. So when we use the lens of scripture, we really see people differently and our end goals different. And also our starting place is different. So with biblical counseling, we're starting in Genesis 1. We're starting with God created. God created all things. He created us. He created our minds, our emotions. Um, And he's also sovereign over all things. So he's sovereign over our pain, our problems, um, and our emotions. And he, nothing is out of his control. So even in Ephesians 1, it tells us he chose us and predestined us before the foundation of the world. So that starting place is very different than in secular counseling, obviously, um, that belief that God is sovereign and in control. Um, And then our view of people is different. So in biblical counseling, using the lens of scripture, we see that we're sinful people. Um, It tells us all through scripture that we're naturally bent towards sin because of the fall. Um, And that we're also sinned against. Because we live in a fallen world, we're sinners, but we also experience pain from others sinning against us. So we suffer from both of those um, curses. Uh, so, yeah, our view of people is, is different. So as I, um, I used to work in the children's mental health field as a social worker and providing therapy to children and youth and families in a variety of contexts, but... Time and time again, I would have young adolescents come into my office and say that they were feeling suicidal. They wanted their lives to end. They had no hope, no reason to live. Um, And it's just heartbreaking to see someone suffering in that way. Um, And, you know, our our focus would be teaching coping strategies, um, which does provide temporary relief and it can help. Uh, Making a safety plan, all of these things are good things Mm -hmm. that that they need. But ultimately, when all hope is lost and there's nothing left to cling to, how can we find hope in this broken world? Um, And that was kind of the part that led me to biblical counseling, actually, was that experience. And without the lens of scripture, we look for answers in ourselves and in the world. So better relationships, a better job, um, maybe more me time, Uh, more meaningful hobbies, all of these things which are not bad things. They can bring us happiness and um, that God gives those good things for us to enjoy. Uh, But when those things eventually don't satisfy, which they never will, Mm -hmm. ultimately, relationships will end, um, our bodies will fail us, all of these things are temporary, then where do we find our hope? (coughs) Well, the Bible, our lens for for viewing life, says that our hope lies outside of ourselves And our biggest problem is actually within ourselves. Um, Our sin and deceitful desires, which I believe it's Ephesians 4.22, which I already read. um, It's saying the old self, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So that is what's corrupting us. Um, 
So we can't look inside necessarily to find our answers when that's, um, it's deceitful. Mm. So we're told in Ephesians 1.14 that we have a guarantee of our inheritance, which is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, and also in 1 Peter 1, 3, we, we find, you don't have to turn there, but um, that's another area of the Bible where it talks about our inheritance. And it says our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So this is our hope. Our hope is actually, no one can take it away from us. It's, it's a permanent hope. Um, and it's not in ourselves. It's in our inheritance. It's in the future. It's in the glories of Christ. So ultimately, there's nothing in this world that can give us guaranteed hope. But in Christ, there's nothing in this world that can take away our hope. And Ephesians 2.12 reminds us of this again when it says that, when I guess I can turn to it, read it out. Um, Ephesians 2.12. So remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. So having no hope, it's there again, that without God, there is no hope. And so, so I think this is, for me, a big piece of biblical counseling is when we look at suffering through the lens of the Bible, it sets our gaze forward. We look forward to find true and lasting hope. And there's a certainty also that God's word is sufficient. Right. Um, so in order to use the Bible as our guide, we have to believe in it. We have to believe it is sufficient, that it addresses all aspects of life. Um, and Hebrews 4.12 is, there's many places where it talks about the sufficiency of God's word. But Hebrews 4.12, I'll say it from what I know. <laughs> God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Anyone know it? <laughs> piercing through joints and marrow. So his word is living and active. His word, um, it's not just an old book that we read. It's living to this day, and it does uh, apply to all areas of our life. So again, there's many more aspects of the differences between secular and biblical counseling. But for me, coming from that field, I'm noticing as I study biblical counseling, that's some of the, the big differences for me. So, yeah. And now, along those lines, where does diagnoses and medication fit in? Because we do live in a world where people have diagnoses of, um, of things and have medication. And in terms of a biblical perspective, where do we lie on that? So there would be a, a place for medication to, to help people to get to a point where they can receive and hear sometimes... Um, if you're in a state of deep depression and you have just fog in your mind, you're, you're not going to be able to receive care. So, so we believe that there is a place for medication. Um, just like Heather said earlier, we are physically embodied souls. And so sometimes our physical being needs to be treated with medication. But we see it as a tool, a, a tool to be used in partnership with, with counsel. Um, and that would be the same for the secular world. Typically, if you were... Um, getting treated medically, you would also be um, meeting with someone um, to be given other tools as well. So we just we see it as a tool, just not the solution or the cure. Um, then as for diagnosis, um, so biblical counsel believes that you 
are not your diagnosis. So often um, people may be given a diagnosis and then they kind of use that to um, define themselves. And so we believe that our identity is rooted in Christ, um, that that person is an image bearer of God, a daughter of the King. And so um, the diagnosis can be very real, but we, we don't want people to um, think that that defines them because it, it doesn't. Um, and sometimes there are diagnoses that we're not going to see in scripture. Um, like for example, you don't see bipolar disorder mentioned in scripture, but scripture does have something to say with the woman who is struggling with a bipolar disorder. And so with biblical counsel, we're going to be looking more at the symptoms rather than the actual um, diagnosis, the, like the label that they've been given. So we'll look at things like, what does the Bible say about anxiety? What does the Bible have to say about anger? What does the Bible say about how we relate to one another? Um, what does it say about despair or insomnia? And then how does the gospel apply to those symptoms? And so the power of the Holy Spirit can then enable the sufferer to still be bearing fruit despite their suffering. Um, we believe that the diagnosis is the context in which that person lives, not the cause of who they are. It's, it's their circumstance. And that they um, can absolutely be glorifying God to the witnessing world. Um, there's um, a verse in Romans 8. 17. Sorry. I just want to quickly read. I'm having a hard time finding it. Here it is. Um, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, we may also be glorified in him. So someone who is suffering can absolutely um, be glorifying God in their suffering just because they are going through um, a difficult circumstance doesn't mean that they need to then respond in a sinful way. They can respond in a, in a God-honoring way, um, living out their suffering in a way that honors God living in a way that is led by the spirit rather than by the flesh. And so we trust that God is using suffering for a purpose and walks with his children through suffering and by his spirit helps them to battle against the flesh and the fleshly the responses. Yeah, and on the topic of medication, obviously, that would be something that, you know, a doctor would be involved in this. Mm -hmm. and yeah, we don't think that you should neglect those things by any means. And um, yeah, having the medical professionals involved in that, in those decisions. Yeah. So what does this, so yeah, we've been talking about biblical counseling and how do we change according to the Bible. So what does this practically look like in our day-to-day -day walk as believers? So um, Chantel's going to share a little bit about that. So we've looked at Ephesians 4.22. I'm just going to um, open up to Ephesians 4.23 now, just directly after. 
And it says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So we want to ensure that as believers, we are renewing our minds with the word. And so we need to be counseling our own hearts with the truth of scripture. Um, In Philippians 4, there's the verse about um, knowing what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is good. And so we need to be renewing our minds and, and those truths. And so it's really important that in mundane seasons of life that we are um, going to God's word and that we are um, depositing into our, our hearts. Um, Jen Wilkin has a quote that says, you know, we're making little deposits into that bank account every day. And one day we might just need to make a big withdrawal. Um, someone reminded me recently that crisis does happen. Crisis comes. And so when that happens, we want to make sure that we have like a bank account to draw on in that time so we've already invested in the word and so we can go to the word and have um stir up hope i really don't like public speaking (laughs) so bear with me (laughs) um we also see in ephesians that we're all worshipers um we are created for worship And so we need to be asking ourselves heart and examining questions. Things like, what are you treasuring? What are you trusting in? What do you fear losing? Um, Where where are you looking for your help? Where does life have meaning? Where do you find your worth? And where do you find your heart, your hope? Um, Psalm 51 talks about create in me a clean heart. Yeah. And then Psalm 139 says, search my heart, test my anxious thoughts. And so in scripture, we are called to be examining our hearts because as um, Heather mentioned earlier, our hearts can be deceitful. They can lead us astray. And so when we get the answers to these questions, we really want to look at, are these pointing to a heart that worships Christ? Or do they point to a heart who worships self and idolatry? Um, Ephesians 2, 3 says, um, the Gentiles were among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by na- were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then four eighteen and 20 says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the callousness of our heart. So we just, we want to make sure we're, we're looking at our hearts. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um, I just realized I was supposed to keep going. No, sorry. <laughs> I thought I had a scripture about idolatry, and I know we see it in Ephesians, and I think I maybe wrote down the wrong hmm. one. We can look for it after if you want. Anyways, I just, I know it is in here, and I don't know why I put that verse down, so forgive me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think five. Yes, thank you. For you, may, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. So I just, I wanted to bring up idolatry because that's what I'm going to talk about 
Um, so when we are examining our hearts and we're getting those answers, um, we may see idolatry. And so now I have the privilege of sharing my story, um, which is, you know, heart. So <laughs> thank you. Um, so in March of 2021, Stephen was laid off from his job, um, which was a career of 20 years. In that moment, I completely trusted God. I, I had no fear. I was immediately able to pray for him. I trusted God would provide and he would care for our family. But then as God started to answer those prayers, I didn't like the way he was answering. And so that really started to reveal my own heart. And it's honestly, I'm going to say it's been really hard to see the state of my heart. Um, There's been godly sorrow, as Heather mentioned um, earlier. There's been shame. Um, Yeah, it's not... It's not nice to see your sin, but it is a gift of grace. So I'm thankful for that because God is bringing those dark places of my heart to the light. Um, so God answered in a way that I just wasn't expecting. Um, Stephen was kind of of two minds in those initial days. He was, I need to find a job right now and just like really like pound the pavement to find work. But at the same time, he was also doing godly things like turning to the word and spending time in prayer. And he felt a stirring in his heart of a new calling. Um, and he came to me and said, I think that God wants me to go into pastoral ministry. And I thought, you're crazy. We've never talked about this before. This has never come up before. You've never, ever talked about this before. He had talked about, you know, maybe if one day he would go into some kind of like Christian organization I figured like you know he'd use his marketing skills for I don't know back to the bible or some something like that but to be a pastor this was just like not something we discussed he'd never taught he'd never preached it it really just felt like it came out of nowhere for me but then God was affirming that um through other men who also said that maybe this is something he should consider a new vocation and so um that actually stirred up a lot of anxiety in my heart, um, a lot of fear. And um, some of those fears were like, are, are we gonna have enough financially? Like, will we be able to support ourselves in ministry? Um, will we have to move? Will I have to leave m- my church family and my community that I love? Um, will, are we gonna be able to do this? Can we do this? Will we fail? Um, Am I going to be alone in this? Am I going to experience loneliness being away from my friends? Um, And then a really big one in the past, I went through a really dark season of depression. And will this change cause me to go back? Will I go back to that dark place? So those were things that were stirring in my heart through this season. Um, And then... A lot of anger towards Stephen. Not like daily, but anytime he was presented with, this is really embarrassing, anytime he was presented with an opportunity to say, teach something, preach something, um, take a seminary course, I would feel anger in my heart and think, why are you doing this? Um, as most of you know, Stephen was given a job in his field in the meantime as we seek to... Um, 
seek God's direction. So I'm like, why can't we just keep doing what we're doing? You have a job. You can serve as an elder. We can serve our church. We can live our life. We can live here. Because that was my desire. I thought that was a good plan. But it's my plan. It's not God's plan. And so I started to see how I have been seeking my will in my kingdom and serving my household rather than seeking God's will, his kingdom, and to serve his household. Um, it showed me that I'm trusting in myself a lot too, that I have a lot of self-reliance that needed to be brought to the light. Um, I'm trusting in my own plans, my own abilities, and my own track record. Because when I think about this, uh, there's no way I can be a pastor's wife. Like I am not qualified for that. <laughs> um, so just rather than trusting, if this is what God calls me to do, he will prepare me for this, that this is a good work he will walk me through, and that he has provided me everything that I need for life and godliness. I have trusted in myself. Um, it's also revealed an idol of comfort. I just want my easy, what I know, comfortable life. Um, and at times I've even felt angry that, for those of you that, that knew me when Stephen had this other career, it was like really life-sucking, his job. It was demanding. He traveled a lot. He missed birthdays. He missed, you know, events. And, th and that was hard, but I, I just felt like I had to go through what Heather did then, and I had gotten to a place where I was okay with it. You know, I trusted God to walk me through that, but I just felt like all those years you pursued this, and I sacrificed, and you did this, and it's amounted to nothing because idols leave us dissatisfied. We had made sacrifices to a false god, and it didn't satisfy it left us empty. Um, I've seen just like that one question. I don't know if you caught it earlier. Will we have enough if Stephen is to serve this way? So I look for security and financial stability. But we all know that there's no financial stability. You just turn on the news and you see our dollars dropping in value every day. And so that cannot be the place that I find my security. I have to find my security in God. And so I know in my heart, I want to know, do what is right and what is good and what is pleasing to God. But yet my flesh is still there and it screams and it bites. And it's caused me to doubt God's goodness. It's caused me to question the beauty of obedience. But thankfully, he's present. And he hasn't left me to do this by myself. I've tried to do it by myself, and that wasn't helpful. You know, there was a season recently where I just really did not want to be interacting with other people. I kind of closed myself out and withdrew for a bit, um, you know, spent time with my family. I wasn't doing bad things necessarily, but I just really struggled to open the Word of God because I felt when I did, I would just read it and be like, I'm not doing this. And I'd feel condemnation and shame rather than um, embracing the grace that God has given me. So um, this study in Ephesians has been so helpful for me in renewing my mind um, and being reminded of just the depths of God's grace and that um, he's not going to leave me alone to this and that 
he, despite my tendency to have a heart that wanders and my wanting to run, he hasn't let me. He has held on to me. He's placed women in my path who have spoken truth to me. Some of it was hard to hear, but it was necessary. Um, and so, as Heather mentioned, we need to be doing this in community. So praise God that we have a body of believers in this church who love each other. And I have women that I can rely on, women who have committed to pray for me. They've been praying for me for months. And I'm sure that's why, you know, I, I haven't just fallen off the rails. Um, so those things are helpful to be turning to the Lord to be naming my sin and repenting of it and praying and asking for help and grace, studying the word, um, studying Ephesians and just being in the word on my own, reading the Bible, that that has been so helpful. And God has just been very gracious and kind and patient with me as I sift through all these things and really um, seek to make Christ my ultimate treasure. So I felt really weak through this season. I know Connie prayed this morning, we are so weak. And we, and we are weak, but the good thing about that is in our weakness, God can be our strength. And so I am learning to rely on his grace and his strength and keep pleading for with him to give me that, to persevere and trust him with all the uncertainties. And uncertain future has just been very hard for me. I'm a planner, I'm an A-type personality, so... It's just, it's a challenge, and I'm sure it's one that he's put in my path to help me to put to death my old self. So this has been a sanctifying process, and really, like, when you're putting something to death, it feels like death. So it it, it is hard, and uh, when we work out our salvation, it, it is a work. Um, somebody reminded me of that not that long ago. So, um... Yeah, so now I just need to focus on where God has called me today. Like, just that manna living. We, I, I've been so distracted about, like, well, what, is, what about this? What about this? What about this? Thinking about tomorrow, where I just really need to focus on today. What has God called me today? to today? He's called me to care for you know, my family, support my husband, serve this church. He's put a call to study biblical counsel on my heart for years, so I'm focusing on that. And that also is helping me as I renew my mind in the word so thankfully through just as Heather had mentioned just that you know renewing of the mind naming the sin prayer and and community I'm not sure how you ordered it but like (laughs) that that has been keeping me and so I just encourage you women to be seeking out friendships um, with others who can be pointing you to scripture and the cross. I'm so thankful for the women in my life who have done that. Um, A verse that has been really meaningful to me over the years, and I have it actually up in my bedroom. Um, I know people talk about life verses. I'm not sure about that that wording, but um, it it is one of the reasons why I... um, I'm excited about pursuing biblical counsel. This is what um, God says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those 
who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we just have this privilege to be comforting each other and speaking the truth and love to each other to point one another um, to the beauty that we have in the gospel and just the uh, tremendous riches of God's mercy and grace. Thanks so much for sharing that, Chantal. It just shows that the putting off and the putting on, it, it can be a really painful process, and it's not a quick... It, it can be years of, of uh, going through that process, but we're really thankful that you were able to share it. And I'm just... We did have one more question, but it's 10.56, so maybe we yeah. should pray and close. Um, but if any of you had any questions about biblical counseling or about what we've talked about, we would be happy to talk to you anytime. So I'll close in prayer. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. and Alyssa brought some books at the back, which might be helpful to look through. Um, yeah. Oh, those are from the church library. Okay, so they're welcome to be borrowed. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say something really quick, that if you are in a hard spot, just don't stay alone. Make sure you invite other women in to be praying for you and, and pointing you to Christ. Uh, if you're in a personal situation that's just more complex, see, seek out help from a pastor, elder, elder's wife, or you know one of the three of us because you are loved and we want to make sure you're getting support. Yeah. So now I'll close in prayer. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we close our time thanking you for your word, which speaks into every area of our lives. We pray that you would help us to be women who bear with one another in love, speaking your truth to each other with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Help us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Help us to be kind and tender-hearted to one another, just as you show compassion toward us. Amen. Amen.